0: really excited for today's podcast, something a little bit different. We've got a former military veteran, Sean Bacon, who's a mental health expert. He literally travels around the world to uh, coach sales teams and uh, corporations on getting their mental health on track. And he's got some tactics and strategies to help us with that today. So uh, thrilled to have him on the podcast and uh, hope you enjoy it too. Okay, we've got my buddy Sean Bacon from Dynamic Shift Consulting on the podcast this week. Thanks for being on, brother.
1: It's my honest pleasure.
0: Uh, You are in the mental health business, and and you want to talk about supply and demand. There's probably no bigger demand for what you do, uh, given what the world's gone through in the past six months, but even prior to that. So talk a little bit about what you offer and uh, how it is so applicable in the world we're living in today.
1: Well, mainly what we offer is a perception shift. We, we give people skill sets to understand what mental toughness is or what psychological resiliency is, emotional intelligence, uh, you know, to be more in tune of where they're at at any given moment and what kind of message are you giving off. Uh, very often, um, you know, when I work with either a company or when I'm working with an athletic group, it, we, we take for granted a lot of where we think we are or where our, we think our lines are is how far we can go. And when you realize that you can go so much further beyond them and it's really a mental choice, not a physical choice, it opens up your perception that, and that viewpoint of how much further you can go. Uh, very often it's we're a prisoner of our own minds. Right. So that's what we do. We change your perception.
0: So a lot of people suffer from self-imposed limitations. The other um, uh, issue that I think is facing culture and society right now is um, this mindset that if you're failing in the world, it has to be due to some external circumstance or factor like the patriarchy or sexism or racism. And not to say those things don't exist. Of course they do, but they they are a factor that sometimes can 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 overshadow some of the personal decisions that people are making or or their their ability to manage their emotions as they make decisions and it's really important to reiterate that the value of personal accountability and responsibility and I I mentioned this before but I really like what Will Smith says if you've been in if you've been through the shit it's not your fault but it's your responsibility as to how you're going right. to respond to it right and so yeah have you noticed in the last few years that you've seen more people shifting towards the desire to pin their problems on external realities rather than examining their own behaviors
1: you know it's interesting that you say that because different parts i get i get the privilege of working all over the map and geographically different people's attitudes uh change like say for instance toronto uh less they're very accountable they're really in the moment kind of people they'll you ask them their opinion shit they'll tell you right on the mark um you know working with people in Vancouver uh they're they're much more sensitive Uh, they're very mindful but to be honest with you all the way across the board. there's a desire for accountability, there's a desire for ownership, but it's really we tend to grasp at the low hanging fruit mentally. And that's blame and excuses. It's so it's so wonderfully lazy just to go, well, it's so and so's fault, or it's, well, this wasn't my fault, then they provide a litany of excuses. And it's really not the problem. That's the problem. It's our perception of the problem. That's the problem. If we focused on the solutions, then we create action. If we focus on the problem, we create blame and, and you know, excuses. So realistically, it's just that default we have as, as human beings, especially in a first world country where it's just easy to pin it on something else where it no longer becomes about us. Right. We become vi- we have a very strong victim mentality, which is a little disturbing but there's a lot of really brave people out there that are rising above that and going, you know, and pushing beyond that. So there is a desire for accountability. It's, but it, that takes effort. <laughs> accountability takes a lot of effort and a lot of mental and personal work.
0: Where do you think the victimhood mentality that seems to be so predominant, predominant, predominant in culture right now, where do you think that comes from?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and I think that's one for the ages Uh, realistically uh, I think we've it's about permission we've given ourselves permission to be the victim I mean there's an old saying hard times create great people okay and in our recent past we've had really great times yes which has not produced really great people and I think that's what has happened is our culture our society because we have gotten very comfortable we, we become complacent. So that I think it's very easy to pin it off on something like, well, it's sexism or it's racism or it's left versus right or right versus left or he versus me or they versus us. Right. It, it, it becomes very easy. And if you look at it, we've been polarized. Right now we're horribly polarized, so divided because we've added so many titles I think that's a big part of it. There are so many titles. We've created so many separations. So
0: what do you mean by titles? Are you talking about um, minority groups or group identity, sorry, more so mm -hmm. where where people are identifying as a group rather than an individual?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like For an example, uh, when you get to a point where anything is versus something else, when you create titles like LGBTQ, I have a huge respect for the community but you don't hear me talking about my gay friend you hear me talking about my friend
0: right
1: when you talk about black lives matter and i do think they do but i don't talk about my black friend i talk about my friend see i I take away the title and i look at the human being and that's where the harmony begins but we've given ourselves so much permission to create victimization and to become victimized by our Willingness to be making, to make excuses. Right. We we really have all the tools necessary to step above and beyond. And if you look at the real, true empowering people, whether it's the music industry or the entertainment industry, politics, culture, it's those people that are rising above titles, that are pulling people together, being very collaborative, being very participative. Using words like "we," not "me." Yeah, and if you listen to how people talk, that's where you can see it. People often speak about it, it in their mentality through their descriptors. If you hear a person that's very negative, it comes out in all their descriptors. We all know this people. It's like everything is wrong.
0: Right, right, right. So uh, by descriptors. We, you mean you mean the way they describe. Factors, situations yeah. in their life. It's exactly. always with a negative connotation in Spanish.
1: Or, or uh, here's a good example. And, I, and I, play, I love playing the devil's advocate. I'm a bit of a mischievous person that way. I, I love great intellectual discourse. I love it when people have differentiating opinions. Right. So when a person, say, for instance, says they're anti-Trump, I'll automatically go pro. Whether I am or I'm not. I'll automatically go to the opposite side just to see what kind of conversation will happen. See what happens is when you look at the descriptors, whether it's left versus right us versus them, you can see the accusatory descriptors. You can see the defensive descriptors. You can see, you know, self-protection descriptors, aggressive descriptors, negative and positive. That's why music is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you listen to a great, song and you listen to the words in the song those descriptors tell you the story and the message and how you feel from that song
0: right yeah i mean it's one of the reasons i'm a big advocate of the arts uh to create unity because they they dissolve our they dissolve our borders right they yeah you put exactly 5, 5 people in a room and they're all singing along to you know a song that gives them a three minute mental escape and they don't care if the person singing along beside them is right, left, black, white, brown. It doesn't matter. They're just enjoying the moment together and connecting through that unifying message. You know, the, the other thing is I think social media is, is such a gift in so many ways, the ability to communicate and stay in touch, but it seems to me just, just, Objectively watching over the last few years, we have a real propensity to jump on people who fail, right? Yeah. And and by creating an environment and an atmosphere where we dive on people who have the courage to try something that's on the very edge of their their competence mechanism, uh, what we do is we create a culture where no one wants to create, people just want to sit back and judge the creations or attempted creations of others. And the more you see that, the more I get worried, because in my family, with my, with my daughters specifically, we celebrate failure. You know, one yeah. of the things we do often is, is we'll, we'll go around the table and talk about something we tried that was really hard that we failed at, and then we'll high five each other and celebrate the courage it takes to attempt something that's at the edge of your ability. And, and that's not self-aggrandizing. It's just how we've chosen to specifically address failure. Because I think right now with them growing up in this world, it's like nobody wants to try anything because they're worried they're going to get attacked.
1: There it is. And I think you hit a real powerful marker there. How often do we not try because of our fear of failure? We don't even get out of the starting gate. See, I have these 12 commandments of mental toughness I have developed over the years, and one of them is fail harder. Don't just fail. Take that failure. You learn the lesson. You created a success out of it. Now push the parameters till you fail again. Learn the magic lesson and keep pushing it forward. The part where people attack, this has a lot to do with cognitive bias. Like We tend to galvanize with people of like-minded opinions, and when if we do not have that more moral character right? and I mean character. I mean the, the thing that intangible thing that it takes to go beyond yourself, okay that it, character like courage, right. honor, okay? Uh, you have to admire people that go beyond themselves. Great example is Terry Fox. I mean, it's, you know, what's funny, when I speak in the United States, I have to explain who Terry is, but when they find out who Terry is, they're just astounded how they didn't hear about this young man. Here's a young man that ran a marathon every day for 40-plus days in a row. like, And people are high-fiving. While he was, because they,
0: while he was fighting cancer and with, with one leg. Yes.
1: Right. So I want you to think about the absolute – Courage to look your fear in the face every morning knowing that you're like you're in pain you're going to suffer you know you're going to have every day is going to be a hard day but at the end of every day you're going to reflect on those things that really shone for you and really opened your mind to something new see that's the importance of adversity that's the importance of struggle Uh, a great example in the music industry is Alanis Morissette she has this really hard moment in her life that devastated her emotionally and psychologically, ends up producing one of the best albums right. and, and connects with a lot of people. Yeah. So that's what I mean by you got to fail harder. Now, the attacking piece is just in my opinion, and this is just my 25 cent opinion. It's cowardice. I don't have a problem if you disagree with me. I don't got a problem if you bring it to me. We're going to have a great discussion about it. And maybe we don't leave agreeing, but we're going to leave with a real strong mutual respect for each other. But attacking a human being, that's, that's laziness. That's easy, especially if you've got a, a large group of people to, de- to defend you or you're hiding behind the keyboard right. where it's very, very safe for you to attack someone. Now, I think it takes a lot more courage to celebrate that fear like you do with your daughters, giving them that different viewpoint of failure. Like I've worked with many youth over the years and I'm really proud of it. It's one of my favorite times of the beginnings of my business is I got a chance to work with youth. And the great thing about youth is when you give them permission to fail, oh my God, they're like, their energy is infectious. It's powerful, it's tangible. Uh, And you can see it proliferate through the entire community and when someone falls down, you see them picking them up going, no, 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 don't worry about it. Let's just get to the next thing. Right. They well, quickly shift their gears.
0: What you said about Elias Moore sets a perfect example because that she had a, a obviously a relationship that failed and right. rather than, than wallow in that. And I'm sure by the way, she did, and obviously had license to do so. We're all human. Um, she took that, that, Mental and emotional chaos that she was dealing with and she put it in right. very tangible terms because she understood she was decentralized enough in her ego to understand I'll bet I'm not the only person who's ever felt this way. I'll bet I'm not exactly. the only person who's ever had this experience. And And yet she was able to make it autobiographical but people still connected with it because she understood that if you take that that chaotic pain and you put it in tangible terms, you will build an audience out of that.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's where empathy kicks in. See, that's the beauty of music is it's very empathic. Okay, it, it, you can connect to a piece of that you song with an emotion you felt. Yeah, you exactly. can feel it. Yeah. yeah, and there's your emotional intelligence coach. There's, there's that piece. Like when you feel it, you know that you have, you've gone through something, and you're now sharing it. See, music is very vulnerable, not just writing it, not just performing it. Don't get me wrong. I have a tremendous amount of respect for people that write their music, perform it, get up in front. There's a lot of fear there, but that's the point. That vulnerability is courage. You cannot have vulnerability and it it disconnected from courage. They are synonymous. They are connected. And I think that's something we, we as a culture have gone away from is that need or that importance of being vulnerable, right. of putting yourself out there. A, a good example of that is when I started getting into the speaking, like not just speaking in large amount of groups, like smaller groups, but I'm doing workshops with uh, different companies and their leadership. And I really didn't like sharing my past. It was too raw for me. And I do have PTSD. I deal with my own demons. I, I have found ways to mitigate that and one of them was to be vulnerable to actually start sharing those stories and putting myself out there and it ended up creating a higher level of value of my product now if you look at great music same thing happens when they put themselves out there you just see that level just climb versus the people that are just trying to sing a jingle right you can feel the difference uh, and it yeah. doesn't take a body language person to figure that one out <laughs>
0: and, and so the, uh, the I think I think you have touched on a really important point because I think we've had this uh, this sort of like paradigm in in the leadership world in the business world where we sort of think of great leaders as invulnerable strong men right yes and and that's where the the um That's where we fail, Uh, and strong women obviously, but that's where we fail ourselves by not tempering the strength of character and the power that someone exudes through their ability to overcome with the the equal and opposite vulnerability and the amount of of self-analysis and self-evaluation a person has to go through in order to get to the place where they can take full responsibility, accountability, really reverse engineer their actions and become a better version of themselves and lead yeah. other people along with them. You know, it's like, we just, we just stop talking about it. And, and you know, and then we end up with leaders like Donald Trump who just literally deny their vulnerabilities. Right. Instead of going, yeah. Hey man, you know what? I made a mistake. I probably shouldn't have said this. I, you know, but listen, I learned from it and we're all going to move forward together. You know, like you're, you you do not hear enough of that out of leaders nobody's going to go, Hey, listen, I got a lot of decisions to make in a day. Some of them are going to be wrong. This was one of them, but you know what? We learned this, this, and this, and we're going to move forward with that experience under our belt.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The, the leaders that I respected both, you know, in my military past or my law enforcement past uh, were those that had that quality and they used something and it's funny i've been doing a lot of sessions lately a lot of workshop speaking engagements on you know leading through crisis right. and how it's different than peacetime leadership and the and the number one thing that people miss is obvious language which is tied into vulnerability the ability just to say to everyone yeah this sucks mm-hmm but we're, we're going to get through this together because I have the best people possible. So you go from that vulnerable piece to the motivational piece, to the courageous piece, to the follow through piece. Right. See, there's your, there's your steps, right? To successes. You, you got to start with that obvious language of this is what it is. I'm not going to bullshit you. Just, I'm going to lay it out as it sits.
0: Yeah.
1: But then I'm going to show you how we're going to conquer this.
0: Right. All
1: Before right. What we're uh, going
0: to try and attempt. And by the way, we yeah. could fail. We've never come up against this before, right? Like yeah. even going that far, which I, I think you've got to really find that. I'm reading the um, Jocko Willink, uh, Leaf Babbin book, The Dichotomy of Leadership, right now.
1: Oh, great book! Yeah, fantastic. And
0: uh, I know you're a big Jocko fan. You guys are a lot alike, um, and you know he talks about that that power of integrating your vulnerability as a leader with your strength and understanding that they are synonymous, and it's okay to be honest with your team and go, hey, listen, this is the mission. I'm gonna empower the best people to come up with a strat plan for it. I'm gonna review that plan because obviously I need to endorse it. And then, and then allowing people to take ownership of the solution to the problem outside of yourself so that you also nurture and create other great leaders. It's not well, there all it about you, right? And, and I right. think that, that when people look at someone like Donald Trump and, and like, listen, far be it for me to criticize political figures because I don't want the fucking job, right? Like, <laughs> I don't want the job. So I'm not, I'm just using him as an example right now of a guy who who obviously puts so much pressure on his own shoulders uh, by, by acting like he needs to be the person who solves all the problems and gets all the credit for it because... Because he's got to be the man. He's got to be at the center of the news site. Well, yeah. and, and that character flaw is something that I think undermines his ability to lead, especially in times of crisis.
1: I, I totally concur with you on that. And I'll even take it a step further. Uh, I often, when I work with leadership groups, one of the things I really pronounce like right up front is, great leaders are not the smartest people in the room. They hire the smartest people in the room and then take the leash off of them. Right. Go do and but keep me in the know. See, a lot of people confuse strength with composure. What's okay. the difference? You can still okay. Here's the thing: uh, our ego is very often tied to our strength, and our ego does not. It's very frail. I don't care if you're male or female; it's still very frail. We don't like to look bad in front of people. Uh, our ego is very much our confidence. Our ego is not a bad thing, but it often will hold us back from really expanding properly as a leader. Now, what I mean is, and now in terms of composure, composure means you're vulnerable, but strong. You can stand in your space, not look panicked. You can be the eye of the storm, the pillar of strength that your people need to get through a crisis, but that doesn't mean you're not scared. And it also doesn't mean you can't acknowledge that fear. I mean, I'm an ex-paratrooper. I have a fear of heights. I have a fear of violence, and I'm a subject matter expert in violence. Like, your fear is not something that should hold you back, but be a marker of how much further you can go. That's what courage is. It's not the lack of fear. It's what you do in the face of it. it. It demands energy. It demands conviction. And more importantly, it demands action. Right. People talk about what they can do till they're blue in the face, but until something moves, nothing happens.
0: Right. And that's,
1: that's what I mean. Sorry. Go ahead. I think
0: think you made great points there, but I would also say something about uh, tying back to the idea of developing mental toughness and and how you're such a big proponent of starting in the physical realm because the physical realm is real. You can't bullshit the physical realm, right? Like if you say, I'm capable of doing six pushups in a row right. um, and I am going to set a timer on my phone. This is something I love to do with people who tell me, you know, I guess I could do six pushups. I want to get in shape, but like, you know, or, I don't know where to start. And it's like, well, why don't you try doing two pushups at the top of every minute for 20 minutes and you will pound out 40 fucking pushups in 20 minutes. Don't tell me you can't find 20 minutes in your day. You can find yeah. 20 minutes. Sit down, set an interval timer, and go. And what that will do is it will remind you in tangible, real terms. You will feel it, what you're capable of. You thought your limit was six. I just showed you, you can do 40, you know, in 20 minutes. Now, let's take the self-imposed limitations that you have as it pertains to uh, mastering your emotions, mentally challenging yourself to overcome things that generally you thought were beyond your your grasp and capability. And it's like, if you can take that and layer it across other aspects in your life, you realize you're much more unstoppable than you give yourself credit for.
1: Oh, absolutely. We're our own worst critics. We're, we're, we're the ones that are in our, very often we're the ones that are in our own way. Mm -hmm. I, I often tell that to people, get out of your own way. And they go, what do you mean by that? Well, the only thing stopping you is you. It's really nothing around you. There's, I mean, at the end of the day, what you have to accomplish is far be- beyond where you think it is. But because your viewpoint has got a series of filters on it, be- you know, a lot of those filters are based on your experience. Very quickly, you say, I can't. And it's what it really is, is you won't. <laughs> it isn't about you can't, it's you won't. So when I work with athletes, the physical component is deeply necessary. As a matter of fact, in the military, we refer to it as stress inoculation. Just like if you got inoculated for the flu or, you know, or polio or something, you get inoculated, your resistance goes up. Right. But it's at the end of the day, different. Okay, here's a great example. I once had the privilege of working with the um, National Freestyle Aerial Development Team. And the coach, wonderful gentleman, uh, he's no longer their coach, and Nico Fontaine, uh, world famous in the sport. He was really nervous about what I was going to do to his poor athletes. And I said, all I'm going to do is I'm going to push their mind, but I'm going to use the physical tool to show them that their mind could go further. Because if I just tell them and I just kind of show them the way that they're not, it's not going to be real enough. So but I'll make you a wager. We'll do a a litmus test. We'll do a, a threshold test in the beginning to see exactly where they're at. And we'll do another test in only 10 days and see how much they've improved. And I'll guarantee you every single one of them improves. Now 10 days is really not enough time to improve someone significantly physically if their brain is not in the game. But here's a good example. One young man could barely get out a two minute plank In 10 days, he did a 22-minute plank. One young man did 200 unassisted sit-ups. Same young man 10 days later, 1,513. In 10 days. What happened in that 10 days? What was the shift? Well, the shift was them. And if I didn't open the door, if I didn't show them different things and then galvanize those physical actions in a way that was Easily digestible, and I use storytelling very often to so that it's digestible. And I think that's also where a lot of artists don't value their craft enough—that their message, their storytelling, often empowers people to go beyond themselves, people they've never met. Right. Right. And sorry, I, no, sorry no, about no. being pedantic, but I'm really passionate about that. No,
0: that's great. I, I want to get back to uh, your your. 12 rules for developing mental toughness. One of them was fail harder, but I'd like you to go through the list because I think people get some really tangible, great tangible tips and value as, and we're going to talk more about building yourself up. And and I want to share something that I just learned recently too, that I think is going to be really interesting for folks, but go through those those 12 tenets.
1: All right. So right out of the gates is uh, being uh uncommon like being uncommon is about more than just about going beyond yourself uh being uncommon means taking risks or doing something differently it means being consistent uh, your professional drive to, you know creates great change but being uncommon you actually have to break the conventional mold everybody talks about the way it's always been done. And then all of a sudden someone comes along and breaks the mold and the first thing they say is, oh my God, that's amazing, that's innovative. But when they first wanted to do it, everyone criticized that human being. All right, Uh, again, Terry Fox, great example, deeply uncommon, like one day he decides I'm gonna raise awareness for cancer and he created action. He got up, got the people he needed, which was a skeleton crew and he started running across the nation. Okay, Uh, Steve Jobs, uh, regardless of what anyone's personal opinions of are are of him, he ended up looking beyond a platform and creating a new paradigm in communications and entertainment. We look at Elon Musk, who's who literally didn't just, you know, he didn't just create electric cars that were amazing. He's trying to land a rocket. He's taking over the space race. I mean his ship just docked with the space station so being uncommon is really important the next is being present and accountable Uh, and this is about ownership and mindfulness being present is more than just being mindful in your moment but being authentic like really showing up and providing the real you but also owning all those moments if you fall down no problem stand back up own it a good example of this is i just did a workshop actually just before COVID-19, I, I did a workshop and there was a miscommunication and I ended up being late, which I never am. I hate it. I walked in instead of making excuses. Oh, there was traffic or my flight or that. No, nope, I'm wrong. This is what I'm going to do to make it right. And let's move forward. And it actually galvanized everyone really quickly together. Right. And it wasn't easy.
0: Right. Well, I- the
1: next one is don't just... Ha-
0: Go ahead. Oh, sorry, I just, just wanted to speak to those a little bit um, no, no. contextually. So, please, please, please. Uh, the being present, uh, who was it that said you should show up in every moment as though you are meant to be there? Um, I can't think of the, yeah. the name of the person who came up with that quote right now, but but it's, it's a worthy quote that's applicable to this situation. And I think a lot of us are sort of coasting through life, and, and so that, that's a great reminder. The other one of being uncommon and this is really interesting as it pertains to artists because it's always been my assertion that the better you get as an artist, the more uncommon you are. Therefore, the more isolated you are. Therefore, the more alone you are because you are performing uh, your art at a level that 99.99999% of the world cannot, or can, can interpret and connect with but they cannot understand how you get there. And, of course, the yeah. biggest artists in the format are the ones who are not only, in many cases, the most talented, but they're also the most unique. And the better, you this is something I often preach to artists, like the better you get, the smaller your circle is going to be. You're going to think yeah. that you're going to have this entourage, and you might, but those aren't, those aren't real supporters. Those are people who are along for the ride as long as you're at the top but the smaller your circle of trust is going to be because there's going to be fewer and fewer and fewer people who get where you're coming from and what you need in order to feel fulfilled. So it's really important that you get that circle refined over the years as you continue to separate yourself from the crowd.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you're not wrong about being lonely at the top. Okay, because let's face it, uh, the, the more influence you have, all right, uh, you have a very unique mindset to even be in that position to begin with. And your accountability is that much higher than everyone else's. So you really need key people in your life that allow to keep, not just keep you in check, but also push you. That, that don't allow you just to sit, you know, relax onto your heels, but keep you on the balls of your feet, metaphorically. Um, when I work with senior leaders in, in, in business, I try to get them to understand you do have a peer group. Don't be afraid to access your peer group, but when, don't be surprised if your peer group is maybe four people, five. Right. maybe. Don't,
0: don't be surprised if they don't tell you what you want to hear.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, what do, right? yeah. that's what peers do, right? That's what totally peers do. Accountable, responsible yeah.
0: people who are, are looking out for the best within you. Right. And um, right. I want to get back to your list, but I just want to say something else on that. I think in the music industry, uh, as you, as you evolve as an artist, uh, you have to do so much of the work yourself. It's so yeah. difficult. And and as you start to garner interest from outside that circle, or sorry, from outside yourself with industry people, it's really easy to lower your standards to justify getting some fucking help for once in your life, right? It's like, oh my God, like I've been managing myself and booking myself and now this individual wants to manage me and I know they're not quite what they need to be in order to get me to the next level but Jesus I just need the help you know and so they lower their standards and they end up mm-hmm. paying for it down the road and 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 listen I'm coming at that from a place of understanding and empathy and knowing like yeah I get it man sometimes you don't hire the best graphic artist because the six people you really wanted weren't available and you've got to roll the dice on somebody else and so maybe it's not the bad or the worst decision to hire that particular manager, as long as you communicate your standards and expectations for what they will deliver and bring to the table. Sometimes you can take B plus players and turn them into A plus players. Really? That's what you do for a living.
1: Yeah, it's exactly what I do for a living. And it's funny that you, you did, you touched on it. One of my commandments is have standards, not expectations. Right and we you know it's funny uh, there's this uh, young man that's in a similar uh, position job as yourself and he covers both you know artists and athletes and he's and he's just starting off in the business and he and he, so he's taking everybody and what he's finding is that he, the, with these people that he's taking on he had the, his his standards weren't in play he was just so eager to get involved that he took everybody right and then all of a sudden all these people had these expectations of him I said, well, now you got to create standards and you're going to piss every last one of them off because they had these expectations. So I think it's all-
0: You're probably going to have to drop half your clients too. (laughs) You know, like that's the other side. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) uh, uh, Even if you're a high performer on the industry side of this business, you can only really service so many accounts within a day and do a really good job,
1: you know? That's it. Yeah, quality versus quantity, right? right? So, you know, in, in having standards versus expectations, it's very important to understand what an expectation is. And believe it or not, the number one thing I get hit with is, you know, we have to mitigate or manage people's expectations. I said, there's your first mistake. Because an expectation is an assumption without the benefit of communication. I expect you to know better. I expect you to be on time. I expect you to do it differently. Well, how did they know if you didn't tell them? I once had a CEO tell me, "Well, they they should just know I'm paying them well enough. Have you told them <laughs> what they need to know?" So, but a standard now, a standard's very special because a standard's your minimum level of acceptable success. Minimum, like anything below that line is a failure. Period. End point. End state. Okay, but everything above the line is success, and then you then cr- create the mentality of always. Oh, going beyond that success, exceeding success, going above and beyond success. And that's where a person, any leader, that's where you celebrate excellence. Don't pat a person on the back because they showed up for work, that was their job. Don't pat a person on the back because they got it right. Again, that was the minimum level of of success, the standard. But definitely celebrate when someone goes that beyond. Right. And then you end up creating a culture of, of excellence because now everyone else is rising up to it. it when I was a, a paratrooper, it, the attitude of a paratrooper was infectious. Good enough was never the standard. Uh, going above and beyond was, was the standard all the time. Exceeding things was always the standard. That, that was the attitude that everyone had because we celebrated excellence. Well, and thus we had a reputation for it.
0: And it has to be in that world because the stakes are so high, you know, uh agree. Can, can cost you lives, you know? So, uh, th- th- and you know, that, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on with your, your military and your law enforcement background. I think you're the perfect person to, to remind people that listen, a lot goes into decision-making processes. A lot should go into it, but, you know, when you've had to make decisions like you've had to make at the level you have, uh, it's a whole other level of stress, and 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 so it's good to remind people. And it's and listen, I, I take a little heat on this sometimes because it's like I'm not trying to diminish or dismiss the fact that choosing the right label is also a critical decision, or the right agent or the right manager. Like those things are really important too. But it's also important to remember there are people out there who make literal life and death decisions every day. And those are real high stakes. And if they can do that, maybe you can too.
1: Well, I'm glad you said that because I think the one thing most people don't realize is that we get hundreds of thousands of hours of training and conditioning to prepare ourselves for the real thing. And we rehearse, we practice it, our mindset becomes a part of who we are i mean I, you could take a look around me i mean you're thinking oh you've been out for 15 years and i mean you, yet you still have all this nonsense around you well it's because the mindset is still there you cannot you cannot unring that bell but here's the best part about the civilian world you're no less of a warrior than i am Being a warrior is a a matter of choice and attitude. You can be a warrior and an artist. You can be a warrior and a businessman. Matter of fact, I insist. A warrior stands on a line when others can't. A lawyer, lawyer, excuse me, where did that come from? Um, (laughs) A warrior goes beyond themselves, serves something greater than themselves. We are all warriors. But the thing that you guys lack is simply that training and conditioning that we get ad nauseum. Right. It's so much a part of our profession. It's actually a part of who we are in our fabric of our being that when we leave it stays with us and we no longer connect. And that's sometimes the biggest bridge in transition when you get out of the forces, regardless of what country is that we have to reeducate ourselves to how you see things. Now, with that being said, and all things being equal, I think there's a value here that if we can take artists, uh, leaders, anybody, and give them the right education, they can make those life and death decisions or quality of life and death decisions in real time, all the time. There's there's no loss of value. But now here's the thing. Everyone says, well, I don't wanna be a soldier. Well, we're not asking you to be a soldier, but we are asking you to be a warrior. Right. And we tend to celebrate warriors.
0: Show up in your life with that level of discipline, and yeah. things will more likely go your way, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's yeah. uh, I want to make sure that you continue on with your commandments list because I keep interrupting you, but uh, um, all good,
1: it's all good, but, but
0: you know, and, 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 I, and I think sometimes it's important to offer just uh contextualization from our side of the world, but uh, but this is good, keep on trucking.
1: All right, well, the next commandment, uh, strangely enough, is really attached to what you do. And it's don't just have goals, have dreams. And why is this a mental toughness commandment? Well, here's the thing. Uh, It's easy. You can have a goal and hit it and then never go any further. And then have another goal, maybe hit it, and then go no further. But a dream, a dream is huge. It's enormous. And if you never hit your dream, you will hit more goals trying to hit your dream than having just a singular goal. I once uh, was a part of a group and I overheard a, a, a hockey coach tell a bunch of young kids, stop trying to go to the NHL. You're never going to get there. Just focus on your play. Now I understood his intent, but the message was so devastating. You could just see the body language of the kids just get deflated. You just took their dream away.
0: And, and actually affected whatever they were going to do on the ice in that moment. Right. Like that's exactly, the, that's the, the bigger, uh, uh, trespass in that situation is like, yeah, maybe you're right technically. And maybe technically what you've spoken is the truth, but you've just pulled all the motivation out of their heart. And so now you've actually set that you've actually subverted and sabotaged their ability to show up at their best in that moment, which is the opposite of what a coach is supposed to do.
1: That's right. And dreams also fuel passion. Right. And when a person is passionate about something, Literally, nothing stops them. Literally nothing. There is no greater motivator than passion. Passion trumps fear. It trumps anger. It trumps revenge. Passion is singularly powerful. And when people can leverage passion into a dream, like, yeah, you may not hit that dream, but you're going to do everything you can to get there. It's going to literally infuse every second, every moment of every day of the rest of your life. When I went to the military, I wanted special forces so bad I could taste it. And I had everyone and their dog telling me that's not what we do. Sean, you're in the military police. This is not what we do. Get your head out of the clouds, Mr. Bacon. This is not what we do. I ended up trying out twice. I became a paratrooper. I got to work with Pathfinder Platoon. I wasn't a Pathfinder. I became a sniper instructor, law enforcement sniper instructor. And but I was trained by infantry guys guys that that believed in me that they saw my passion just kept continually coming out I kept doing things that were atypical of my profession here's the fun part I just in the last year no two years two years went back to the academy that I teach at all my students were teaching and the first thing they said is look at all the changes that you made and we're still doing it I said that's great I said what about your changes what changes have you made it's your responsibility your obligation to continually leverage that passion into something more yeah absolutely challenge the status quo absolutely stand when others are kneeling absolutely state your peace but do so with great authenticity and passion because if you have neither of those two things it's a non-starter you're dead in the water right and that's why it's an act of mental toughness because it takes mental toughness, true grit to hold to that dream with both hands and go straight after it.
0: Now, what is the, what's the defining line between dream and delusion? Because I, I hear everything you're saying <laughs> and, and I like it. I like it. I love it. I but, love it. <laughs> you know, there, there are people who embrace dreams and God bless them, but you just know it's going to set them up for a lifetime of pain, frustration, failure, bitterness, and, and because you can see, you know, to a degree how they're wired and, you know, in, in, in the arts, there isn't, we don't have the same metrics to measure progress like we do necessarily in sports, for example, right? Yeah, like if, yeah. if you run a 40 and 4.8, well, that's real, right? You release a single and it doesn't do well on the chart, but everybody, including your mom, tells you it's the best song she's ever heard. Well, then that's real to you. So yeah. how how do people honestly evaluate their competence in a world in and in a, in a scenario where they're supposed to be reaching for the stars like how do you do that how do you reconcile that
1: okay well that's actually a fantastic question and it comes down to two things one let's go back to the original question of how do you differentiate delusion from dreams yes well delusions have a sense of expectation to them i expect that i will be a star i expect that i will hit this mark i expect that's where delusions of grandeur and specifically come into play. Okay, and so, so uh what, that, you're, it,
0: what you're saying. I just want to make sure I get this right. So the expectation creates entitlement, entitlement breaks your heart.
1: Bingo. Okay. We have yeah.
0: All right. And then now, yeah, you're better. How does that differentiate from a dream? Because in order to envision a dream, you must okay. expect something to happen.
1: Yes. And with a dream, a dream is a roadmap. And a dream is going to have a litany of failures, a litany of obstacles, a litany of naysayers. And a dream insists upon your ability to continue on the path, regardless of any of that. It comes down to never being satisfied. Even if you hit the bullseye right out of the gates. You know, you pull a Justin Bieber, for an example. You're you're a a little kid on YouTube sensation. Bang, you hit the bullseye right out of the gates. But then they take the foot off the accelerator, right? Okay, I've arrived. Too many, sometimes success is our worst eventuality. I've arrived. Well, no, you never truly arrive. I tell people all the time, never be satisfied. You will never arrive. It is a journey that you must take every single day and you may hit your dream and then you may go be on that dream. And that's saved for like 1% of the population. I'm just throwing that percentage out there just to show how finite it is. But that's the hunger. There's the passion. There's the peace. People call it the hustle. I disagree. I don't think it's a hustle as much as it is a driving passion. Um, I call it the mission mentality. Mission before self. Everything is about hitting my mission. So at the end of the day, if you don't have that roadmap. If you do not have that standard in place to know that if I'm right or I'm wrong, I success, I succeed or I fail, I'm still taking the next step. Right. I, I, hopefully that wasn't too verbose.
0: No, no, no. I think, I think that makes sense. I I just think you're, I, I like the idea of never being satisfied. I think that's really important, but I do think it has to be balanced with some level of accomplishment and gratitude for what you have achieved. Otherwise, oh, absolutely! It it can just fuel more frustration, right? And and oh yeah! And in some ways, it can even it can even manifest into entitlement. But I see it with artists all the time, where I'm like, hey, listen, we just climbed a mountain. We got to climb another mountain, but you should take a breath up here and enjoy the view for a minute because this is pretty cool, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, I and, totally concur.
0: And uh, I think if you're not stopping for at least a a, a Reasonable amount of time, whatever that is, depends on the individual. To soak in the vindication and and appreciate your hard work, you may undermine your own motivation to do it again.
1: Oh yeah, I agree, and I don't take that away from you. Uh, I think gratitude is the key word. Uh, I think you need to be grateful for all of it—the uh, good, the bad, the ugly. You need to be grateful for the fact that. You're on this journey. you got the ability to be on this journey. Um, I do agree that you should celebrate as often as you can both your successes and your failures, but that doesn't mitigate your ability to press forward. Um, I I celebrate quite often, actually. Uh, There's several different groups I get to work. I get the privilege to work with. I love working with them, and every time I do, I do take a moment. Uh, Actually, I take a day. I take 24 hours after I hit one of these markers and I give myself 24 hours. It's not just rest and recuperation, but reflection. Right? How can I repeat it? Should I repeat it? What can I do differently? So that's what I do with my moments of celebration is I also use it very pensively. And I try to learn as I'm a lifelong learner. So it's if you're not learning, you're going backwards. So I use these moments to consistently go forward. Now here, that's the problem sometimes though, is we, a society, especially in a first world country like Canada, you know, we see all these instant successes and we're wondering why not us. Right. Well, it might not just be your journey. It might be a different journey to get to the same end state, but it's your journey.
0: Well, and, and those successes okay. are always amplified to a degree by social media. Right. Um, so they, they might even look bigger than they are and, and they don't, they don't tap into the backstory and the, the pain and frustration that was experienced by the individual who eventually does celebrate the perceived victory. Right. What's, uh, I want to continue on the, uh, the commandments list, but I want to, yeah, yeah, it's uh, what's your thought process on if you're suffering with the, if you're suffering with mental health, we have a dopamine, dopamine mechanism in us that that requires us to have a trajectory of sorts. You know, we have to be moving in a certain direction to feel like we're growing, evolving, changing. That just seems to be intrinsic to human beings. What's your thought, because I've given this recommendation out, but I'd love your feedback, on small wins. You know, like if you oh, yeah. set this goal and and you feel like like you just it just feels like it's out of reach or you have this, this objective or this dream and it's like, it's out of reach right now. And and so you're focusing on that and you're feeling like you're failing day in and day out. Meanwhile, everybody around you thinks you're fucking amazing. You know, <laughs> what about setting up some small short term wins in your day just to make you feel like it's something, whether that's as simple as making your bed or, you know, getting down on the floor and cranking out ten push-ups and going, "Well, that's ten more than I did yesterday." Something like that that just gives you this feeling that things are are progressing.
1: Yeah, that that whole Facebook click response. You know, when someone like you throw something out there and someone likes it, and you're always checking your Facebook. Same idea. Right, right. How, however, um, it's funny. I, I I just been recently giving this workshop on again like leading through crisis, and one of the key pieces is having a distinct mission. What that means is small micro missions where you can build a stackable level of success that you can build upon. And, and, and in so building that success, you build the comp- more and more confidence. Okay, so having finite goals are deeply important to get to that dream. Because that's really the roadmap to a dream is a series of small successes that stacked on top of each other until you hit it. Right, but, so, even, but if I'm a, you
0: get yourself into a position where you're not even achieving those, and that happens, well, there's right? a problem. It's like you're you're not on the roadmap anymore. You know, like nope. like the, you're not in a vehicle on the roadmap traveling at sixty miles an hour. You're traveling at at the speed of a quick walk. So then, how do you reengineer your goals and your your award mechanism structure that lives within the brains of all of us? To go, okay, you know what? What I need today is a small win. I just need something that reminds me why I'm here.
1: Well, the answer is rather simple. And I just said it. Simplicity. We we as human beings love to complicate the shit out of stuff. We do it all the time. And when you look at the simplicity of something, you turn something really big into bite-sized pieces, we tend to attack it differently. We tend to deal with it differently. We tend to succeed differently. So um, a great leader is also a great simplifier. And we're all great leaders, or we have the potential to be great leaders. We do not always take the time to simplify. We, we take on the entire elephant and wondering why it doesn't digest properly.
0: Right.
1: Okay, so just get it down to bite-sized pieces. Simplify as often as you can, especially emotions. Emotions are the most complicated, and we do. We complicate the crap out of things. Human beings are messy creatures. But when you do break it down to its base essentials, like what am I feeling right now? Hmm? Fear, happiness, anger. Like break it down to the base emotion. Right. Okay. And then you can ask yourself the bigger question and then move from that point. See, it's funny. We call it the five whys if you want to know something, it's like, well, you have two little girls. You know, when they were three or four years old, it's like, they'll ask why all all the time. So that self-assessment, keeping it simple, getting to the base point, and then going, why? Why am I feeling this way? Or why did it not work? Or why did it work? Okay, now that's the low-hanging fruit, the next why. So why is it that I can't go past this? Or why is it and then the next why, and the next why, and the next why. And sooner or later, you scrape down all those layers to the real thing that is actually holding you back. And now you can address it. But people don't take that effort. Right.
0: And or the emotional trigger, right? So there it is. You know, I think we've got a real propensity as a culture to be addicted to rage to fear. I mean, you see it on social media all the time. And it's like, if you can just separate your emotions objectively for a moment from your, your psychology and just say to yourself, why does this make me feel so angry? Yes. Why now? now, Okay. Now, now it's because that person's an asshole. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is that really the reason, (laughs) you know, like, like dig in a little bit here because maybe there's something that, that you've not been able to reconcile in your past. Or a situation where maybe you responded very hypocritically that lives in your subconscious and it really bothers you. And so now when you see that hypocrisy on the outside, you attack it, right? And it's like all of those all of those emotional triggers are so useful to allowing us to develop the roadmap to reverse engineer to get to the bottom of what's living in our subconscious and what's driving our decision-making process and the more you can analyze that, the stronger you're going to be.
1: I agree. A great example of that is, say, for instance, when someone, someone's offended. Right. Okay. Uh, when a person offended, it's not, a, it's not the person who's perceivably making the offense that it's the problem with. The problem is with the person that's being offended. Now, I've had people oh, lash out at me for this one. But there's a certain accountability. So why am I offended? No one asked that question. They just go, oh, I'm offended. Therefore, you must stop whatever you are doing.
0: Or you must apologize. Or
1: or you must apologize. See, I don't agree with just apologizing. An apology should be authentic. I should apologize because I am sincerely sorry, not for the sake of making everyone appeased or a a place of psychological safety. Because that just compromises everyone. Now we're living in a lie. But a great discussion can be built from, okay, so why am I offended? Why does this bother me so much? And I get offended just like anyone else but the difference is I ask myself I hold myself accountable first then I have a bigger conversation of hey where did you what did you mean by this or where were you headed with this right. so I follow it up with a great question great questions are so not used these days if we actually started more conversations with a great question and then actively listened we get further well, great think, communication is mainly listening
0: I think a lot of times when when you're offended you start to occupy an energetic headspace whereby if you ask a question, it's generally with the impetus that you're setting up a straw man, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, like, and, yeah. and listen, I catch myself doing this all the time. So this isn't a judgment <laughs> on anybody out there. Cause like I'm, yeah. I'm terrible at that. And I'm really working on that now rather than trying to jump to a conclusion and trap that person so I can decimate them. It's more... Yeah. Hey, I need some clarity, because you just said something that I took this way, but I'm not sure that's how you meant it. Can, you, can yeah. you give me some context, right? And then a lot of times people will either, you know, you'll find out that you just made a terrible assumption about what they said, or they, uh, they have a point, and now it's up to you to decide how you're going to respond if they've really clarified the point that's offended you, right? And, um, and, and how you're going to navigate that, uh, either way, it's a gift, but nine times out of 10, it's usually, they didn't mean how you interpreted it. And, 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 and we're just, we're almost like looking for a fight these days, especially online, oh, yeah. you know? So, oh, yeah. so we want to jump to that negative conclusion. And, um, like I say, I'm as guilty as anybody else, but it's, it's something to be aware of for sure.
1: Well, I, I go by an old saying, uh, especially from the, my old Airborne days, of saying nothing behind a person's back you're not willing to say in front of their face. Yeah. And, take the, and take the hit for it. Right. So, see, there's a certain amount of courage that comes with having that kind of a conversation. Uh, it's very easy that when you have this social distance, meaning a monitor, a keyboard, uh, there's no consequence to you lashing out. People are saying stop bullying, but a lot of a lot of bullying is going on systemically right now. And I don't even think people are realizing they're being bullies.
0: No, they're not. They're not. And and that that speaks to the the hypocrisy, obviously, which is uh, uh, systematic uh, in social media. You know, I was I was joking on on pink shirt day that I didn't wear a pink shirt and I was getting bullied for it. And yeah. it, was, it was a joke, obviously. This is on my social media. But but I was amazed at how many people actually were pissed at me not participating in, in sort of this forced compliance movement, which, listen, I understand the value of awareness. I get it. But it's not what you post. It's how you live your fucking life. And if you're yeah. not a bully in real life, then... You know, may, maybe you can participate or not participate in Pink Shirt Day, but I agree with you. I think, I think we've got this, you know, and, and unfortunately, it's coming a little bit more from the left side of the political spectrum, which I consider myself to be a member of, and I got driven there, even though I grew up in conservative heartland, Alberta, <laughs> uh, because the, the Puritan religious right had all these fucking rules, and what's the last thing you want when you're a teenager? Rules, Right. right? don't tell me I worship Satan because I like fucking Motley Crue because you're crazy, you know? And and that that movement of all these rules and and uh, guilt-based initiatives, you know, they pushed people over to the left because it was like, okay, well, the same people are all over here. And now what I'm seeing, and it, it bothers me, is I'm seeing a lot of purity tests on the left. You know, you better oh, post yes. this and it better have this language behind it. And if it doesn't, then you're not part of the group anymore, right? Yeah. And my argument for that is, okay, but even if, even if we choose as a community to block somebody, they don't go away. It's just That's this right. illusion that we've, we've knocked them off our Facebook feed or our Instagram or Twitter, but they're still a human being out there. Now, if you ostracize a bunch of people for not following the doctrine to the T to the letter, what do you create? You create an ostracized community of people who feels like they don't belong in yours and no longer can connect with you. So by being a a warrior against racism or sexism or whatever it is that we're, you know, believe me, I think there are steps we need to take. But when we... When we create these purity tests that really no one can pass in the name of fighting racism, we're actually creating bodies of people who feel now that they've been labeled as something they're not. And we've strengthened that faction because we've kicked them out of our community rather than exercising inclusion and tolerance, which is what we're all supposed to be about and going, hey, man. You got a bit of a corrupted belief structure on this one thing I'd like to talk to you about it or hey are you okay because I've seen you sharing a lot of Alex Jones memes lately, and maybe we need to talk right because you're part of our community and I love you and I love your imperfections and I want to bring you back on side and there's a guy named daryl davis who's who sat down with members of the kkk he's a he's a musician, and it doesn't surprise me because musicians think this way they think out of the box they're very creative. He sat down and personally converted over 300 members of the KKK, which would be a huge cross-section in that world, uh, to leave the KKK, turn in their robe and their hood, and that man is such an inspiration, and he should be on fucking MSNBC and CNN and Fox every fucking night talking about how we actually defeat racism, because he actually has results that are measurable in that world.
1: Oh, there it is. But instead, See, what,
0: we all get on our moral high horse and we just want to make somebody else feel bad because then we feel like we we did something good that day.
1: Well, psychologically, this is called cognitive bias. Right. Okay, so there's a there's an ongoing theory that in terms of cognitive bias, and there's many different types of cognitive bias, but we all have these biases. And these allow us to get galvanized or polarized in one particular area. And the theory is if you take three or four people all with the same opinion and only sharing with themselves, they are more likely to be radicalized in that belief, regardless of what the belief is.
0: It's the echo chamber effect.
1: Yeah. And it, basically you create sheep. It becomes flocks and flocks and flocks of sheep following one shepherd. And if that one shepherd is malaligned, and when I say malaligned, I mean, you know, rudimentarily evil. Passive aggressive, manipulative, they're going to lead that whole group of sheep into a bad situation. And that's often where riots happen, mobs happen, because people get caught up in a riot or in a mob that do things they never do in, in their normal lives, but they get caught up in the momentum of the language and the momentum of the belief structure. Uh, and very often, uh, there's a heuristic in your mind where a, a cognitive bias. That takes a shortcut. If you are hearing one thing all the time, much like propaganda, that's the one thing that becomes a truth. Okay, and at the end of the day, when that truism hits, you defend it with everything in your. Like uh, I have a very dear friend. Um, uh, you know, she's very you know liberal, very left. Uh, I'm a sh- I'm a bit of a, a shit rat. I I like to create arguments uh, just to have great discussions, mm-hmm. and I'll and I'll I'll go after Truda. And she'll, lose her, and she'll lose her mind. And I'll start laughing. She goes, you did that on purpose. And I'll go, listen, I think it's really important that we all have a critical mindset. It doesn't mean we cannot get along. It does not mean I can't really respect your opinion. I don't have to agree with you to respect your opinion. I gave up 12 years of my life to serve my country so that you and everyone else and me can have the freedom to speak without persecution. 12 years of blood and sweat and tears and loss. I have lost good people. And what are we doing with it? No, sheep. And that bothers me because we as Canadians are the markers in the world of great critical thinking. And we are influencers in the world of great critical thinking. We got to get away from this idea that we are idealistic in our thinking, that we are actual movers and shakers. We follow through, we keep our word, we show up. And when we show up, we bring all of us to it.
0: So, but so we should also you, disagree. Let me ask you this, because I agree in the utility of, of productive disagreement. Um, I enjoy conflict, but it's always with the uh, the end goal that peace right. should be the objective, right? I agree. Um, but sometimes there are people who embody very corrupted belief structures and, and they do exhibit patterns of behavior that isn't acceptable to the community. Okay, what's the path of redemption for those people and how should a community decide that they're going to give this person just, just a little bit, you know, just a little bit more space to figure things out. So they have the opportunity to redeem themselves and come back because at the end of the day, that's one of the foundational tenets of the left that I fell in love with. There's a path to redemption. You're not just a horrible human being. If you, you know, if you enjoy Motley Crue or smoke a joint or drink a beer or skip class, you know. Obviously, this is more back in my teenage days, but you know, uh, it was always like if you did those things, you were now outside of what was acceptable, and that was that was that puritan religious right uh, mindset, and it's what drove the teenagers away from it. But you know, as we start to see purity tests on the left, it's like. What should we do, Sean? Like, what should we do to go, hey, man, here's your path back. It's up to you whether or not you want to take it. I don't want to kick you out of this community. I don't want to excommunicate you. But you can't continue to vociferously feel in your heart that, you know, you could throw out any example. and, And, you know, obviously they're very incendiary right now. So I'll, I'll stay away from that. But we all know what we're talking about. We all know people who say shit that isn't PC. Now, some of it are doing it just to troll, but some of it are doing it because they actually believe in it. So how do we get those people back on track and don't allow them to be part of a, a radicalized community because our interest is peace and our interest is inclusion and our interest is tolerance to a degree?
1: All right. Well, the answer is really simple, but it's also twofold. First piece is not acceptance. It's really about communication. And communication isn't always talking. It's mostly listening, as I had said previously. Uh, if you want to, the heart of any conflict, every conflict is a breakdown or a lack thereof communication. So to establish rules of communication, like even something as simple as you speak, I listen. When you're done speaking, let me know when you're done. I'm going to respond. You're going to listen. Having those rules in play where you can then start to understand how it's, you're going to have to restructure the way you communicate and give yourself permission to damn well listen without your ego or you being in the way. Very often we get so passionate about our belief systems that we, we, we try to answer to respond versus answer to understand the second. Second piece is a harder piece. Back to standards. You have to have a standard that if a person's not willing to change, then yes, you have to draw a line in the sand and say no further. But you have to give them that opportunity to fail first. Right. Okay. It comes down to toxic relationships. If some relationships aren't going to change because they simply don't want to, you may have all the best intention to change. But until you do, or till they do more to the point, you cannot move together mutually. And this is where you see a lot of toxic relationships and families, well, like their family. I have to, they, we have to include them, their family. No, you don't. no, 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 no. Nowhere does it say anywhere that you should be abused, nor does it say anywhere that you should be treated in a malicious or horrible fashion. However, I do believe in giving someone as many opportunities as possible to meet the middle ground. And there's the key, you talk about Puritan, I I, I often talk about extremes, the pendulum swinging to extremes, and the happy place is usually in the middle. When people come to the middle, there is this communal energy, this choice of giving and taking that come into play. You have to remove your ego out of the equation. That's where great mediators, arbitrators come in that can be outside of the situation, that can draw two people with high passions to the center. Right. Uh, I've had to in my life annex some people out, and it hurts. It, there is an emotional burden and cost to hitting that line. But I can say with satisfaction that I gave them literally every opportunity Above and beyond to get to that point. Now, that's the thing about human beings. We're about choices. Okay, you can choose to come to the table with a critical mind and, and be willing to engage, or you can choose not to. The thing about choosing not to is it's easy, it's low hanging fruit, and it's super, super convenient. <laughs> if everyone says you're a rock star, my God, you must be a rock star. yeah okay
0: it it literally will change the neural pathways in your mind and and you'll start to live out uh conceptually in your life what everyone's told you right if everyone tells you you're you're, like you just said you're a rock star you're a rock star you can't do any wrong it's like at some point you start to embody the idea of that and then that becomes pathological in its own right
1: yeah absolutely like if you're thinking about you're thinking about discipline and and you're thinking about mental toughness are you thinking about mental health you're talking about perseverance during all this and and we're living in one of the most incredible times in history because we have a lot of things hitting us all at once different crises hitting us all at once and we're knee jerking we're we're letting our emotions guide our decisions we're making fear-based decisions emotional decisions and this is one of the best times in life to really be a litmus test for leadership and humanity to rise above this, to do the right things, that to make an act of courage, to step out of the fold. This is the best time. Crisis is exactly the time you should try to fail more often because there's more forgiveness in a crisis to fail. Right. This is literally the best time ever. The hard part about mental health right now is that we're not self-assessing. Here's a good example. I do have PTSD, so sometimes I... One of the symptoms I have is sometimes I wake up like, you know, on the wrong side of the bed, you know, I, I wake up with an, in a foul mood. And the very, I have learned through time and effort to self-assess. First thing I do when I wake up, I self-assess. Where am I at? What am I feeling? How, you know, am I tired? Am I fatigued? Am I angry? Am I happy? And then the first thing I do is I communicate that with my spouse. I go, I'm not right. I'm not good. I'm not sure what you, I need you to do right now, but I just need your patience. And by taking that ownership of that, it gives her tools now to communicate with me in a way that I I really require. But now turn that into a cultural piece. Turn that systemically, turn that societally. And I think if more people did that, look, I'm angry. Not sure what I'm angry about, (laughs) but I'm angry. Or I know what I'm angry about, but I'm not sure what to do with it.
0: Right. Yeah, it's that process of uh, self-evaluation that just takes so much courage to get to Continue
1: on your commandments, my friend. Okay, sure. No problem. Uh, My next commandment is put the grit back in integrity. Nice. And I love this one because, you know, if you look right in the center of the word, there it is. It's staring you right in the face, grit. And grit, and you can appreciate this. You know, I know that you're a farm boy from Alberta. You know, you grew up working hard. And there's a lot of grit that comes from Working outside, you know, you, the, being exposed to the elements. There's a lot of grit that comes from being a soldier or a policeman or a firefighter. Um, there's a lot of really great people that expose a lot of grit. And what is grit? But your ability to keep going when everything inside you says stop. I'm uncomfortable. Grit is the ability to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Now, integrity. I, I've had a lot of people try to explain. Integrity, and I I, finally—I personally did a deep dive on it, and I I got it down to two simple words, one simple phrase: follow through. Your integrity is your ability to follow through. People talk shit all day long about what they're gonna do—the coulds, the woods, and the maybes, the mites—but follow through is integrity. So I—it's funny—I have a rule, uh, both professionally and personally. I will not promise or threaten anything unless I am prepared to follow through on it. Right. So for instance, if I say, I will be there for you, rain or shine, I will show up. Okay, if I say, if you're late, you're gonna do 100 push ups you're gonna do 100 push push-ups, and I'll do it with you. Right. Okay, just because I'm wired that way, but that's integrity and it, too often, we tend to sacrifice our integrity for principle. Our integrity means doing it, whether you are comfortable with it or not. If you make a threat of, if you do that again, we're done. Well, really, was that an idle threat or are you willing to follow through? Right. So it's one of my favorite commandments because I think if we all followed through a little more, I think you'd see a huge change.
0: Well, and we're all in control of what we say and the promises we make. So it's just a matter of, of ensuring that you're aligning your words with what you know you're ultimately going to be capable of doing. You know, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily a moral question or a question of character. It's more assessment, you know? Can yeah. I can I say this in good, clear conscience and know that I can follow through? And yeah. if I can't, well then I should just keep my mouth shut. Easy
1: peasy. Pretty much, yeah. easy peasy, and it actually is. And it's funny, you know, having worked with so many different cultures around the world, Integrity is one of those things that build trust and respect the fastest. When someone knows you're integral, they'll invest bucket loads of trust and respect into you. But the, like, but the moment you break that integrity, you're only as good as that last mistake. Right. Right. Respect, dignity, and honor are the hardest things to earn and the easiest things to lose and they all stem from your integrity to follow through. That's why I connected it to follow through. That's why it made sense to me. Right. So uh, one a good example is I, when I was working with athletes, uh, if I said if you ever utter the words I quit, I will stand you up and I will walk you off the field. And sure enough, some poor kid, I quit. This is stupid. Up oh, gone next. Everybody went, "Oh my god, you just how did, could you do that? Well, he's not kicked out. He's going to stand on the sidelines, but he quit. So now he has to live with that result. And I told him what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, did I like doing it? No. Did it single him out? Absolutely. But that's the consequence. See, there's a consequence to follow through, positive and negative.
0: That's why it has so powerful. Some people uh, are just contrarian by nature. And it's a, it's a beautiful <laughs> thing. You know, I, I love the fact that kids often start out very contrary and they want to know why and it's it's, it's yeah. a good thing it's like hey if you're asking me to do this i need to understand why and yeah. um and in in his case he was testing the boundaries of your integrity and so, you followed through and so that's a very great you know that's a great example of exactly how you handle those situations
1: well i often get asked a lot of questions about parenthood strangely enough in my leadership workshops people automatically go well how do i apply this to my kids or how do i apply this to my home life follow through don't be look you're if you're a parent you're a parent first not their friend be a good parent it's going to be hard it's going to be painful there's going to be some emotional scar tissue however they're going to grow up knowing that when the times are the toughest because you were you always followed through they're going to show up right they're not fair weather parents so and that goes back into professionalism or or even as an artist your ability to follow through you know if you say look I'll perform in the rain show up (laughs) in the rain ready to go with a smile so that that's why follow through that's why I respected especially when I worked with uh you know the paratroopers their creed is all about follow through you don't make promises you simply cannot keep and you follow through on every threat you ever make. Right. Uh, their culture is fantastic. And I think there is a value in that enough that 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 tends to like dovetail into the next commandment, which is pain and discomfort are temporary. <laughs> we tend not to do the difficult thing because we anticipate the discomfort. We anticipate the pain. We, we try to get ahead of it by not doing it no matter what you go through. And I, by the way, I've watched your workouts, brother, and they are intense. But as you well know, the pain and the discomfort are temporary.
0: Well, they're temporary, but they're also necessary. If you, if you want to get yourself to a place where, you know, and I'm just talking physically for now, but this also applies mentally, emotionally, as a leader in your family, as a leader in your organization, your community, you're going to have to push yourself out of your comfort zone in order to build the muscle that you need to evolve, right? So you, you have to do it. Like once a week, I try something, usually from these uh, incredibly gifted athletes that I follow on Instagram, I try something in a workout and generally fail at it um, that's just on the edge of my competence realm, right? Right. And, uh, the other day was, was walking on the treadmill with my hands, right? Uh, my feet on a basu ball. Right. So, uh, David Goggins could do that for, for 20 minutes straight. I mean, I had to do 30 seconds on 30 seconds off for 10 minutes and my upper body's in good shape, but it just kicked my ass. So that was a good example of, okay, I know where I'm at and I know where I want to be, and I know how much work I have to deploy to get there, but that was humbling, and to a degree humiliating, and I was happy to post it, you know, because it's like, yeah. hey, I fail at my yeah. level, and, and I do it all the time, and, and this helps me stay accountable, and reminds me how much work I have to do, and it's still, you know, it's, it's not like you're fishing for compliments, because you know it's still, a, it, it's still good, but if you want to be exceptional and uncommon, you've got to get to that next level. And that's always what I'm striving for.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, you're a, typically a lead from the front guy or a lead by example guy. So, you know, think about the permission you're giving others. See, that's what influencers do. That's a great leader is a great influencer, a great motivator. So you're giving people permission to go outside of their boundaries. I think we, we are so afraid of that discomfort and that pain whether it's psychological or emotional or physical, A funny thing is, is physical pain is finite. Emotional pain sticks with you so much longer, but it is only temporary. And it, once you acknowledge that, you tend to give yourself permission to try far more often.
0: Right, and, and and emotional pain only sticks with you for as long as you're willing to replay the bad movie of that memory in your mind <laughs> over and over and over and over again. Right, like exactly. If you are willing to um, to take that emotional pain, glean what you can out of what you learned from the experience that created the pain and then let it go, uh, you will feel a release within you and and then you don't have to replay it and relive it in your brain every day, which is, you know, it's a fate that I think some people just sort of assign themselves to and it's it's... You know, I don't understand the impetus for that, but I get how it happens.
1: Yeah, uh, I think I'd like to end on I haven't done all the commandments, but I'll, I'd like to end on my last commandment. And it's the last one for a reason. It's find a way or make a way. Right. And this is about having a solution based mindset. It's easy to focus on a problem. Matter of fact, it's so easy and it's so comfortable for people to focus on problems that they never get past them to find the solutions. Well, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about... No, no. The problem isn't the problem. Get to the solution in lights at light speed. It, I, it's funny. If you think about where the saying comes from, it comes from the Battle of Cannae. The Battle of Cannae was Hannibal. And he took his army over the Alps a way the Romans said could not be passed, and he took an army, we're talking soldiers and horses, and he took elephants over the Alps. It had never been done before, it has not been done since, and it was one of the swiftest military victories of its day, and it was against an enemy that that was outmanned them 4-1. They defeated them so fast, and when they had the Roman general on his knees. He asked Hannibal, how did you do this? And he simply answered, find a way or make one. Right. And when you have that mentality, when you have that attitude of find a way or make a way, literally nothing is outside of your reach. But it is an act of mental toughness because shit gets in the way. People get in the way. Your emotions get in the way. You get in the damn way. But when you can constantly focus on finding a way and making a way, your imagination kicks in. Your your ability to think beyond your situation kicks in, and you become very inventive, very quote unquote innovative. Mm-hmm. Well, if like, you look at it,
0: Tony Robbins often oh, says it's not a lack of, of resources; it's resourcefulness, right? Yeah. You you yeah, that's a good way to look at you it. You have to be you have to be somebody who takes what they have to work with in the current moment, develops what they can out of that, and then figures out the best uh, strategic plan. An action plan to move forward in the face of whatever they're dealing with in terms of adversity, right? And I admire that a lot because at the end of the day, I, th- I think one of the reasons why we focus so much on the problem is because we really love to allocate blame as opposed to solve the problem. And it's yeah. like, listen, I get accountability, and I get that sometimes you got to hold people or institutions uh, to account for what has happened. I get it. Cause you don't want it to repeat. Right. But At the end of the day, the problem is still there. The problem itself needs to be solved and spending too much time on who's to blame, especially when that's a gray area. It's just, it's such a waste of energy.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the solution's right in front of our face. And, and here's the best part. This, this typically, the solutions right there it's what are we willing to action right Uh, I mean in the military we often talked about actionable information right now people are getting tremendous amounts of information much of it uncriticized much of it unfiltered Uh, some of its complete opinion not actually much fact in it but we're getting truckloads of information. Matter of fact, we live in an unprecedented, unprecedented time where we are gaining access to information in the palm of our hands, literally at light speed. But we're not—we're not critiquing it. Right. We're not saying which which part of this is actionable. Which part of this can we do something about right now and create something positive out of it? Yes. See, that's what, in the military—that's the power. Actionable information creates action. Action creates a failure or success that we can learn from and then keep going. It creates an end, a successful end state to our mission. There's the key, though. How much are we receiving is actionable? Again, crisis after crisis after crisis. We're, we're receiving all this intel, all this information. We have a lot of opinions, but how much is actually actionable? And how much are we willing to action to have positive effect? Right,
0: and, and you're talking about you know problems on a macro level but i think that boils down as well to problems on a micro level in your own life and yes the the fidelity to the idea that that action is paramount will prohibit the artistic desire to get caught up in paralysis by analysis right like <laughs> yeah. artists are yeah. classic overthinkers they almost have to be because they have to think of of what they're creating from a bunch of different angles and interpretations. But that thought pattern conditioning can put them in a position in life where they just feel like they can't take action because they could go down this road. It might not work out. And there's, you know, there's this opportunity. And it's like, I get it. But at the end of the day, you're either going to take action and screw up and get the experience and learn, or you're going to take action. You're going to succeed. And yeah, both of those are better options than paralysis.
1: I agree. And I don't think we're leveraging our disruption effectively.
0: Right.
1: I mean, there's so much disruption right now. I you know, considering, you know, how you've leveraged it. I think is a really good example. I mean, having a drive-in. A drive-in concert's freaking brilliant. We have a lot of opportunities to leverage disruption, it, whether it's communication, whether it's modality, methodology—who cares? But th- it takes creativity mm-hmm. to leverage disruption. I think we're tr- we're so busy surviving our situation that we're not thriving in our situation.
0: Right, man. That's a uh, that's a that's a great way to sum this up, brother. We've been uh, we've been going for over ninety minutes,
1: brother. It's a marathon, not a race.
0: (laughs) I I really enjoyed, really enjoyed this conversation. I'd love to have you back on again.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for asking. I, you know, it's an honor. It really is an honor to be here. We're
0: going to include, uh, in the links with this podcast, we're going to include your 12 commandments. Um, I'm also going to include a link to dynamic shift consulting because I want people to understand how they can access you, reach out and contact you yourself. So, um, Send that along to me. We'll get it attached to this podcast. And I look forward to having it air and hearing what people have to say.
1: Copy that. And you have yourself an amazing day, brother. You too. Bye
0: now. Big thanks again to Sean Bacon for coming on the podcast. If you'd like to know more about his company, check out Dynamic Shift Consulting. And we will uh, include a link in the comments below on the YouTube version of this podcast. So check that out. Make sure you join me next week. We've got legendary music industry promoter, producer, manager, and agent to the stars, including Ringo Starr. Yes, Dave Hart is joining us next week on the podcast. So tune in.